Amazing. Thank you, Graham. Uh, evening, everyone. Uh, let's pray to begin. Lord, we thank you that we can be here together this evening and worship you so freely. Would you, by your Holy Spirit, dwell amongst us, speak to our hearts, and challenge our minds. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, as Louise said, I think at the beginning, welcome to our latest uh, Let's Talk About series, uh, where we think about all sorts of issues uh, and, and hot potatoes, so to speak, uh, that are facing us today. Uh, it's an opportunity to hear what the Bible says uh, about a particular uh, issue, um, but also, as the name suggests, that we can uh, talk about it or begin to talk about it uh, openly and honestly together. Uh, we don't want these kind of evenings to be sort of tick box exercises or we've done kind of that issue, we've done that thing, kind of forget about it and move on. This is really, hopefully, the, the beginning of a conversation, conversations that we might have in our small groups, in our kind of um, times getting coffee together, wherever it might be. Um, uh, so that we can continue to do that. Um, uh, and so why don't we commit as a church family this evening just to continue to pray about and to seek God in and support one another in these areas that we discuss. And tonight uh, is the area of singleness. And so when we talk about being single, what we're doing is we're talking about anyone who is unmarried or isn't in a stable relationship. And you may be thinking, well, hang on a minute, why ask the married curate who has two children uh, to give a talk on singleness? Was there literally kind of no one else around? Um, well, I I've actually been single uh, for far, far more of my life uh, than I've ever been married, dating, or in any kind of romantic relationship. And so whilst, of course, I wouldn't want to suggest that I've experienced every one of the joys and challenges of being single and being a single Christian, I think I might have experienced a good number of them. And whatever your personal struggle or experiences uh, of singleness or the experiences of those that you know and love, my hope and my prayer for us all tonight is that we understand more of the difficulties, but also the freedoms that those who are single or choose to be single face. And that as followers of Jesus, we might understand the place and the value of singleness within the context of our faith. The passage of scripture we just uh, heard is from Genesis, the very first chapter of the Bible that Graham was uh, very well able to find. Um, it's mentioned as part of our kind of theme this evening, not, not as you know, some kind of grand theological statement on the hierarchical position of, of men within the world or, or within the context of marriage, but for two reasons. Uh, firstly, as a statement of equality. Men and women are created in the image of God and were created out of the love that flows from the Creator. And of course, Genesis goes on to set out the ground rules and principles for their union. And there are clear differences between them. But actually, I think we're more alike than we are different. 
However, maybe Genesis leads us to come to the conclusion that, yes, you know, we may all be loved and created by God, but maybe it leads us to think, well, somehow, if we're single, we're kind of less than, you know, given that so much of the rest of chapter 2 and as well as numerous other passages of Scripture seem to encourage or call us to marriage or to the nurturing of a family. The second reason we're using Genesis as a kind of loose basis for tonight is the call that I want to make for us to, in a sense, get back to basics, back to the beginning. Because I think it may well be that we need to unpack a few of our own uh, assumptions and maybe unpack a few ideas in order to maybe realign or adjust our perception and understanding of singleness, both practically uh, and perhaps even theologically. And so first, I want us to acknowledge the baggage. What is it that we think of immediately? What do, we, what do we feel when we hear this word single or singleness? You know, if we're in church, if we're married, we might be making certain assumptions about those who are single. Well, obviously, they must be looking for a partner. And if they aren't, well, they should be. You know, we can, some, you know, with the best of intentions, make some really quite unhelpful comments to those who are single. We can kind of pity or, you know, assume that they must need our help to find a date. And also, I think what Christians mean by singleness is often very different to what our maybe non-church-going friends might mean by singleness. Because essentially, in our culture today, if you're not, if you're not a Christian and you're single, well, it's kind of seen as quite a good thing, if not a great thing, because you're free, you're unattached, and you're uncommitted. You don't have the entanglements or the restraints of marriage or a long-term relationship. You're free to, in our culture, sexually experiment, have multiple partners and basically do what you want with who you want and when you want. Whereas for the Christian, we believe that the Bible teaches us that we shouldn't be having sex outside of marriage. Being unmarried doesn't just mean we're uncommitted, but that we're actually called to be celibate. And so it's a very different prospect if you're single as a Christian than if you're someone who is single and isn't a Christian. And also, a message that we may have heard is that somehow in order to be uh, super spiritual and pure, we've got to even distance ourselves from all things kind of physical or sensual. And there are religious denominations and orders around the world that reject romantic relationships in order to focus on the spiritual, and that is completely valid. But sometimes for us, it can spill over into our theology and somehow romantic and physical relationships are kind of totally bad and sex and romance mustn't be kind of enjoyed under any circumstances whatsoever. And that can mean that in our culture, there's often a, a stigma attached to the kind of lifestyle that Christians lead. Not being sexually involved with anyone means at best you're seen as like really odd and at worst, you're leading a lifestyle that's not healthy. You know, it's harmful, as if you're kind of repressing something that you ought to be cultivating and expressing and enjoying. You know, somehow, you must be leading, so culture might say, a diminished life. So the prospects of what it means to be single are very different inside and outside the church, often. Often. 
And this can lead to a certain level of difficulty uh, for Christians because they've got to be very countercultural in order to be faithful to Jesus as someone who is single. But whether you remain single or married or a bit of both somehow, marriage and singleness both testify to the gospel. Both are gifts given by God and neither should be devalued or avoided. So both married people and single people need to understand what the Bible says about singleness. Because if married people don't understand what the Bible says, um, uh, what the Bible's teaching is on singleness, it probably means they haven't really understood the Bible's teaching on marriage. If we're seeing singleness as being second best, or irresponsible, or or lazy. That's a sign that perhaps we've not understood marriage properly. Because by implication, we're thinking that marriage is more spiritual. We're thinking that it's more spiritually grown up to be married than it is to be single. And that marriage is somehow an intrinsic part of Christian discipleship. Part of the reason we need to understand singleness in a biblical way is it will help us to understand marriage in a biblical way as well. Marriage shows us the shape of the gospel and that it models the covenant promises that God has made to us in Christ. Singleness shows us the sufficiency of the gospel Because it shows us the reality of what marriage points to, which is our own relationship with Jesus, our own deep, life-giving, profound relationship with our Creator. And that is real marriage. And there are many, many references throughout the Bible that describe the church as the bride of Christ. And you know, that is the ultimate goal for us all relationship with God through Jesus and by the Holy Spirit. And singleness is a way of saying that because I've got the reality, I don't need the signpost. I don't need the model of it. And so, you know, if we're not honoring singleness rightly, it means by the same token, we're not honoring marriage rightly or the ultimate marriage that both of them are meant to point to. You know, whatever our marital status, we mustn't let the influences or the anxieties or the pressures of this world cloud our connection to Christ. You know, what would it look like if we as church, as we, or we as churches, really encouraged single members to embrace their calling, for their singleness to be central to the life of the church? And if married members were encouraged to look to singles, not as inferiors, but as unique imitators of Christ. And so that leads us on to kind of the next question. How how do we best honour singleness? Well, of course, each single person will have a different experience. There are age differences, for example, being single at 20 is very different from being single at 30 or 40 or 50 or 70. And there are circumstantial differences. Some may have never married. 
Others might be divorcees or widows or widowers. And there are also going to be experiential differences. Some have chosen or feel called by God to be single and are content. And others long to be married and feel deeply frustrated. I think we need to first recognize that singleness is a gift from God. It's true that so much in our society is structured and focused around couples. It's often just assumed that adults will have a partner and there's just something a bit odd about them if they don't for any period of time. You know, single people can made to be uh, felt like spare parts in their families or social groups or churches. And the story goes that one man was so fed up with being asked, are you single, that he began to respond, are you still married? You know, we have to resist this implication that somehow singleness is second best. Because the Bible doesn't say that. Marriage is good. But so is singleness. It's been given for some. But however, Paul speaks of it as a gift. That's in 1 Corinthians 7. And Jesus says it is good for, who, for, for those to whom it has been given in Matthew 19. But, but what if you sort of go, well, I, I don't think I've got the gift of singleness. I don't find it easy being on my own. And I long to get married. Does that mean that I'm experiencing second best? No, it doesn't. When Paul speaks of singleness as a gift, he isn't speaking of a particular ability that some people have, not others, but some people have, to just somehow be contentedly single. Rather, he's speaking of the state of being single. He's saying as long as you have it, it is a gift from God. Just as marriage will be God's gift if you ever receive it. And he's saying we should receive our situation, whether it is singleness or marriage, as a gift of God's grace to us. And secondly, singleness has advantages. Uh, Paul mentions two advantages of singleness in 1 Corinthians 7. He says single people are spared the troubles of marriage. Um, There are many, many great blessings in marriage, but there are real difficulties and challenges too. And understandably, you know, Christian couples don't often talk about uh, the hard things that they face very openly. And of course, that then gives singles a very kind of rose-tinted view of marriage. You know, I've been married for six years now, uh, and they have been just the best six years But marriage takes daily commitment. It takes a lot of hard work. And it takes constant compromise. Even when a married couple's relationship is good, life is more complicated. There's more than one person to consider in decisions about time or holidays, or even what to eat for dinner. And there's more than one person to worry about. You know, children are a great pleasure. Uh, But there's plenty of anxiety and sleepless nights as well. Mine have decided that 5 a.m. is a good time. It is not. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 7 verse 28, Paul says, Marriage does bring many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. 
And he mentions these troubles here primarily not because of the bearing they have on the fact that single people can devote themselves more fully to God's work. 1 Corinthians 7:32 to 34 says, An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. A vital part of the Christian responsibility of married people is to care for their spouse and their children. And that rightly takes time. There's no coincidence that many activities in church depend to a large extent on those who aren't married. You some consciously choose to stay single, to devote themselves to Christian work and ministry. And most haven't chosen to be single in that way, but have the same advantages as those who have. You know that my wife and I find it really difficult, for example, to commit to things in the evening because of our young children and availability of babysitters. And so instead of focusing on all the difficulties of being single, we should make the most of the advantages of God's gift of singleness while we have it. But thirdly, singleness can be hard. When God saw Adam on his own in the Garden of Eden, he said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so Eve was created to meet Adam's need for companionship, and the two came together in the lifelong sexual relationship of marriage. Although the New Testament is positive about singleness, there's no doubt marriage seems to be regarded as the norm. It's God's loving gift to humanity and the chief context in which our desire for intimacy is met. And so I think, therefore, single people can be likely to struggle, at least at times, whether they're called to it by God or not, with loneliness and temptation. And and those struggles are not at all limited exclusively to the unmarried. But they are very much a part of being single. You know, some might sort of seek to lessen them by getting married. And others will either choose not to marry or feel unable to because of their circumstances or their sexual attraction. They are likely to face a lifelong battle with loneliness and temptation. And those two battles are closely related. The more um, lonelier, the lonelier we are, the more likely we are to struggle. And so I think we need to be proactive in seeking help. We aren't designed to be on our own. And if we aren't to be married, whether in the short or the long term, whether it's our choice or not, we should seek to satisfy our need for intimacy in other relationships. And that might mean us taking the initiative in keeping close contact with family and friends. It often helps, I know I found this, to just have one or two close friends to whom we can be accountable to. And fourthly, and in in many ways critically, singleness isn't permanent. Some who are currently single may one day marry. Others will remain single throughout their lives. But no Christian is single forever. 
human marriage reflects the marriage God wants us to enjoy with his people forever. The Bible speaks of Jesus as the bridegroom who will one day return to take his bride, the church, to be with him in the perfect new creation. On that day, all pain will disappear, including the pain of a difficult marriage or of singleness. Revelation 7, 17 uh, and 19 verse 7 tell us that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and a great shout will be heard. Let us rejoice and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. You know, human relationships really do matter but none is nearly as important as our eternal relationship with Jesus. And so if you're single and you've been part of a church, including this one, where you've been hurt or sidelined or talked down to or excluded because you're single, I'm so sorry. And I would just encourage you not to accept that to thank God for the gift of singleness. And whatever your experience is of singleness, it is a gift from God. And so enjoy it as long as you have it. And you can expect your church family to help you in that as you need it. It's easy for those who are single to lapse into perhaps a self-centered kind of lifestyle. So Be self-disciplined and accountable to others. And keep your eyes fixed on heaven. It's our eternal relationship with Christ Jesus that ultimately matters. And to those of us who are married, don't think of singleness as second best. Remember that your family is the whole church. And there should be no lonely people in our church. We need to be opening up our homes to one another and relating to one another, not just in our nuclear families, but also in our church family. Keep your eyes fixed on heaven. Human marriage matters, but it won't last forever. Our relationship with Jesus has to come first. And so often in our uncertain and and turbulent world, we long for peace. And so we search for quiet. We desire so desperately to be known. And so we seek companionship. And whether that search leads us through singleness or marriage or winds up between the two, if we're not looking towards Christ, the search will be in vain. Rather than preparing ourselves or each other for marriage or singleness, let's concentrate our efforts in building up our foundations on God's promises. If you look for peace, you will find it in Christ. And it will transcend the noise and the confusion and the mixture of messages that you find yourself hearing. Philippians 4.7 promises peace that transcends all understanding. 
And if you desire to be known, Psalm 139 reminds you that you are already known completely from the number of hairs on your head to the words not yet on your tongue. If you have love to give and ready hands to serve, Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, God has prepared good works in advance for you to do. So let's fix our eyes on the kingdom and the king so that we're equipped to weather and flourish through the storms and the seasons of life with hope in the eternal. And so I'll finish um, with these words from 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 4. It says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal.